Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. 22 years ago, 19 hijackers flew four planes into, uh, or tried to fly all four of the planes into uh, buildings in America, the Twin Towers in New York, the Pentagon, uh, but for uh, the actions of the passengers on Flight 93, uh, I think the reports are that it was likely going to be Congress was the the fourth target. Um, I mean, we're going to pivot here into uh, some other uh, related issues. Um, but I still have some messages and uh, a call here I want to get. So let's do that here. This is Skip. Uh, welcome to the program, Skip. How are you? Hey, thanks, Pete. I yeah. really enjoy your show. Thank you. Uh, I, the, your last caller brought back a memory that I had almost forgotten and suppressed, what you will, about the Charlotte plane crash on 9-11. I didn't remember that it was also on 9-11, but on that morning, my mother and father had just got divorced, and we had moved from Pennsylvania and were staying with her sister and husband in apartments in Charlotte. And I was standing out at the school bus stop uh, waiting to go to, I believe it was Nations Ford Elementary back then. Uh, And we, us kids heard, I was 11 years old, and us kids heard a plane flying extremely low. Low, It was under the flight path, but this one, you could tell, was really low. It was really foggy. And we looked up, and this huge plane came out of the clouds and almost took off the top of the apartments I, to me as a, as a child remembering now it was like you know 50 feet or less and it shortly after that it, it crashed in the woods across the street what were a wooded area and my uncle who was back then Charlotte had park police and he was a Charlotte park police officer and he was getting ready for work and he came down and his police vehicle was a Ford Bronco and he took off another man and him, jumped in his police car, took off across the field into the woods, and they were the first one there. Mm. Uh, of course, we didn't go to school that day, obviously. But I just remember the feeling I had, and I remember when my uncle came home. Uh, he was over there a couple hours, I think, and just the look and how he was from that horrific scene. And while he never really described, told me, us kids any stories, we heard him talking to his wife and my mother and about stuff he had seen. And the one thing I remember him saying, I won't get into the gore that I remember, but I remember him saying there was a flight attendant that was just walking around the ruins and she had, didn't appear to have any injuries on her, but she was in shock. Mm-hmm. And I, I just wanted to thank that lady for recognizing I hadn't realized it was on 9-11. And it in no way takes sure. away from the tra- tragedy of New York and Pennsylvania and 
DC, but it it's a memory that I had forgotten, and I want to thank that lady who made me remember that because yeah. those people deserve to be remembered through accidents too. Well, and that's the um, uh, that's the thing about all of these types of tragedies is that it is a uh, reminder, and for a kid your age at the time, maybe your first. Um, brush with it which is the recognition that you know tragedies happen accidents occur and and life is a race against death that we all lose and um it's you know it's inevitable um the question then becomes what do you do with your time while you're here exactly exactly great point but uh again i just want to thank that lady for remembering those those accident victims as well, because their families are still touched to this day. Yeah. And people that didn't even know anybody like mine, I mean, my uncle has since passed away, but our family remembers that, you know, it was, yeah, there was, uh, I think like 80, there was 82 people on board or 85 people on board and 72 of them died. Uh, a couple of them hung on for almost, uh, some of them, uh, for almost a month, but then eventually died. They also learned from that crash, apparently, that uh, I think it was that crash, or it may have been another one that was due to the same sort of uh, issue in the cockpit. And then they, the FAA just banned all like non-flight-related chatter on landing and approach um, right. or, or uh, takeoff. But they, they, they also found that that's, they realized that the synthetic fibers on your body, like if you're flying, you should not wear synthetic fibers because they, yeah. you get burned more. Uh, than the natural fibers. Yeah, I just remember it being extremely foggy that morning, and we heard it long before we saw it. And when it came out of the fog, because it was so low and so close, all of us kids standing out there knew immediately. Yeah, knew immediately. So yeah, again, thanks yeah. for uh, remembering nine one one today. It's uh, the world's crazy enough that we should always take a moment to reflect on what well, when we said never forget. We mean never forget. Yeah. Never. And pass that on just like Pearl Harbor to the future generations. So we never forget. Yeah. And I thank you. Thank you, Pete. Absolutely. Thank you, Skip. I appreciate the call, sir. Thanks so much. And uh, thank you to Barbara, who called in the last hour uh, to talk about that was flight. uh, It was an Eastern Airlines flight, flight 212. Um, 72 of the 82 on board perished. Um and the crash occurred right off of South Tryon Street, um, just north of Thornfield Road, south of Old Whitehall Road. So it's in the Steel Creek area. It's on sort of it's on the west side of North Tryon. So the the nearest major. Uh, it, so if you you know where 485 crosses Tryon at Airsley, the Airsley Shopping Center over there, if you got off the exit and went north back into towards uh, uptown Charlotte, got on Tryon street and headed north and you pass uh, old white hall. There's like the, I guess that's the, there's a Lowe's over there. I want to say, um, and you kind of go up there, but before you get to Shopton road, it's all for on the left-hand side. And there's a big, uh, I'm looking at the map of it right now. And it's still just a, a big uh, grassy area. I don't know. I don't know if it's woods or not, but there's no development. But it's a, there's development all around it, um, apartments and stuff. So I don't know if they're not building on it because of the 
the crash site that was there or if um, or if it's a protected spot now or if it's just uh, unbuildable. I don't know. But I'm just looking at where the, G- the, uh, the, the coordinates are, the satellite coordinates, and it puts you right there. And it's this empty field, this empty grass or green area on the map, I should say. I guess I could probably, let me see. I could do like a satellite. I'm not going to do the satellite view of it. That's all right. I'll check it out during the break. You know, there was also, um, Charlotte was the scene of the first plane crash after 9-11. Did you know that? It was in, it was in 2003. It was January 8th, 2003. And it was flight 5481. And uh, it was a commuter jet, and it was taken off from Charlotte. There were uh, 21 people on board, including the flight crew, and it took off and Im- immediately uh, twisted. Like it, it went up, and I don't know, I don't remember all of the details. I, I remember going out to the scene um, the day of and then afterwards as the pool reporter. I was driving into work, and when, you're, when I would uh, come into work, I'd come down um, John Belk Freeway, and it turns into Wilkinson Boulevard, you know, and the station is right off of Wilkinson Boulevard, right after it, the freeway ends. And so I'm coming down the freeway, and I see a, a, this massive plume of smoke coming up. And as I'm driving, yes, I'm going to acknowledge I broke the law, although I don't know if it was against the law at this point. I call the studio or the newsroom. I call the WBT News Center, and I'm like, hey, there's a large plume of smoke. And John Stokes, the morning anchor, he's like, yeah, there was a plane crash. And at first I thought he was kidding. But then I said, are you serious? And he says, yeah, it was over, you know, uh, near the airport. And so I immediately head over that way because I'm already on Wilkinson. I take off towards the airport. I drove all around trying to get closer to the crash scene to see what I could see, but I could not. I eventually then uh, a couple days later when they took a media pool to the uh, to the site, I was the radio pool reporter. And that's where I talked to the NTSB fella. And I asked if they had moved any of the stuff off of the crash site because there wasn't anything there. There was just like a lot of burn marks and stuff. And he said, no, he said, everything burns up. The plane had a full tank of gas, jet fuel, and it all burned. Everything burns. All right, you may have noticed that I've been helping the Alzheimer's Association of Western North Carolina for a while, and it's a great organization. they got awesome people with huge hearts. My grandfather died of Alzheimer's when I was a kid, and back then there wasn't a lot of support for caregivers and family. Now, things are different today thanks to the work of the Alzheimer's Association. That's why I support them. Every year we do a series of walks all over the country. There are a bunch in the Carolinas. You can go to alz.org slash walk for a walk to end Alzheimer's near you. This month, there are walks in Hendersonville, Rock Hill, Mooresville, Greenville. And in October, we got Charlotte, Gastonia, Asheville, Kannapolis, Hickory, and Spartanburg. Go to alz.org for all of the dates and locations. We're closer than ever to stopping Alzheimer's, and we're asking if you can help us get there. Will you walk with me for a different future for families? For more time, for treatments, this is why we walk. And let's jump on the phones here. This is Jack. Welcome to the show. Hey, Jack, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Good. All right, so what's up? Uh, I was just going to say that uh, I remember uh, the Flight 212 very well because one of my best friends uh, lost his life on that crash. I'm sorry. Sorry to hear that. What was his name? 
His name was Walter Norum, N-O-R-E-M. Do you know Barbara? uh, What? Do you know a woman named Barbara? Barbara, what's her name? I I don't know. She called in in the last hour, and that was her friend, too. He was a poker player, she said. Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah, that's right. Barbara... Yeah, I know a barber, but I'm not. I know. Well, she said they. Yeah, she said they played poker together. Anyway, so it sounds like so you're talking about the same gentleman. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, I, I know who you're talking about. Uh, yeah, he was. Uh, he and I were both professors at UNCC. Oh, and uh, so I knew him very well there. And uh, in fact, the first year I came here, I actually rented out his attic and lived there in his attic. Um, but he had been on a. a a trip to Charleston, uh, doing a some kind of consulting job, and um, uh, I knew he was in Charleston, but I didn't know when he was coming back. And uh, when I heard that plane had crashed, it was coming from Charleston. I thought, eh, I hope he was not on that plane, but unfortunately, he was. And it, interestingly, he was. Uh, he was. That was an early flight coming in from Charleston. He had gotten on that early flight to get back in time to, to teach his class that morning. Hmm. Well, yeah, it crashed, yeah, before 9 a.m. Uh, off mm-hmm. of uh, South Tryon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, so that occurred uh, 1974, on this day in 1974. So, That's right. That's yeah. right, almost 50 years ago. Yeah. Jack, I appreciate your call, sir. Thanks so much. Okay, you're welcome. Goodbye. All right, take care. Um, this is a message from Kelly who says, uh, uh, regarding 9-11, so many things I remember. For me, one thing I will never be able to unsee were loved ones wandering around and posting photos of friends and family, hoping that they had somehow survived. Yeah, I mean, there are some of the, uh, I mean, some of the, uh, the images from that day. I, the one that, the one that I never forget, well, there are several, um, there's one though that is uh it, it that, that's the one that uh, broke me. It's like when you are when you're when you're in the newsroom and something like this is happening, you basically shut down all emotion. And uh and I understand some people cannot do that and 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 sometimes people do it all the time too much and they they can't ever turn it back on. You know, I so I get that. Um but at some point the 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 grief just becomes so great and it, it breaks through and you never know when it's going to happen. I was at home. I was, uh, uh, you know, worked at, you know, I don't even know how long, how many hours, because you don't want to leave, even though there's nothing that we can really do here. Uh, the nationals had taken over the airwaves and, and uh, we're just broadcasting national stuff and we're trying to do some local coverage, but it's, you know, there's not a lot to be done. It's it, because the attack is over. You're trying to get information you work in long hours and you get tired. And anyway, so I go home. It's either the day or two later and uh, watching one of the, the news broadcasts at home. And I see this this woman who is at one of the boards with all of the, the missing photos, all the posters. And she's just uh, she's crouched down. She's kind of like in a catcher's you know crouch. And she's just sobbing. And she's got her hands uh, covering her face. And just crying uncontrollably. And there's this child, probably the age of, I don't know, three, four, tiny, small kid, very small kid. 
and uh, the child walks over and says, it's okay, mommy, it's okay. Like this, this three or four year old is just comforting this, their mom because the kid doesn't know, you know? Yeah, the kid doesn't know. The kid's just trying to stop mommy from crying. Hey, so real quick, hurricane season is here, and this is your reminder to check your emergency supplies. You should have a three-day supply of food, water, and medicines, minimum. And Carolina Readiness Supply can help you get started or expand your supply. Food, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies too, because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you can use for any kind of emergency. Whether you're an experienced prepper or you have no clue what you're doing, or maybe you're somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you in Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply, will you be ready when the lights go out? Hello, Ed. Welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, I want to fill in something about 9-11. Uh, at that time when it happened, I knew some of the, the facts, and I learned more later. But what happened was airlines, airplanes, had a, a security agent on every single flight. And the airlines thought, well, that's just wasting a seat. And the government let them take off all the security off the airlines. So that, that late, that, that, that late, that, that one went free. And then, uh, the, what the reasoning was that when airplanes are taken over, they just fly to whatever destination and they abandon them. Okay. Well, right. Well, so, so you they went along with pardon. Yeah. There, because there was a, there was a, a belief that there were, you know, that the only people that would hijack planes are, Two of the three C's when it comes to terrorists. There are exactly the crazies, the crusaders, and uh, the criminals. And, you know, the, the crazies and the criminals, they generally think they're going to survive afterwards. Uh, the crusaders then, do not. Right. And it was not contemplated that they would use the planes as as missiles. But the, but the other thing that showed up was when people take flight training, they don't learn just to fly straight. Mm-hmm. They learned how to take off and land, and there were a bunch of people, the, the terrorists, mm-hmm. that took training, learned how to fly straight. But the attorney general of the United States would not let FBI tell the CIA or the other way around. Right, that was the wall that was erected by Jamie Gorelick in the Clinton administration, which is probably uh, related to the documents that Sandy Berger smuggled out of the Clinton library. Uh, that he eventually right. uh, got disbarred over, I believe. So, uh, yeah, Sandy Berger was, uh, you know, the um, uh, former lawyer for the Clintons and stuffed a bunch of the papers in his socks and underwear or whatever, and then uh, uh, smuggled them out of the uh, out of the. Uh, I think it was the Clinton right. Library. Maybe it was the National Archives. I, I think it was the Archives actually. So, he, yeah, he smuggled them out. He stole them, and uh, the belief is that that was related to because he did it after nine eleven, and the belief is that. There was uh, paperwork in there that would have uh, that would have painted Clinton in a negative light as it pertains to the wall between the uh, the intelligence agencies. Yeah. Yeah. So all of that would have been avoided if they had done that, because they know the people that do that are going to crash the plane. Mm-hmm. So we were well 
we're made aware in at least two ways that we're increasing the risk. Yeah, of, well, I mean, there were other opportunities. I mean, that's the thing, piecing it all together afterwards, after we saw yeah. the horror. But, you, you know, people, like a couple of the guys got, got arrested, right? One of them had a whole bunch of speeding tickets and the like. Yeah, so we there's all sorts of stuff and in intel that that was developed and profiling that was developed after the fact but uh and i appreciate the call but yeah there were a lot of warning signs that were missed i mean honestly look it would not be the doj if they didn't miss a whole bunch of the red flags right <laughs> it's always i mean it seems like that's the case look look the other day i say the other day it was probably a couple of weeks the other week i i did the story from um, Matthew Yon, Michael Yon, Michael Yon. Uh, he's a war correspondent. And he went down and he was hanging out in uh, at the Darien Gap, uh, which is, or yeah, I think that's it, the Darien Pass. Darien Pass? I've, yeah. Anyway, it's in Central America, and uh, it's where, it's like a major gathering point for this mass migration effort uh, where a lot of people come, they gather, and then they get on buses. They, it's a, yeah, it's like a waypoint. It's a way station. And so he was down there, and he's, you know, watching people. He's doing reporting, doing interviews, and that sort of thing. And he sees um, military-age men of Asian ethnicity and then goes and talks to, I think, the hotel where they were staying at, and the hotel manager said that they had uh, they had slaughtered a chicken and drank its blood. Okay, is that just is that something that like the culture does? Well, not really. It's something the Chinese military does. And then these these guys got on a bus and headed up north. So where do you think they're headed? I would imagine they're headed where everybody else seems to be headed, right to the southern U.S. border. There is a real concern about the people who are getting across the border that we don't know everyone that's coming across and that there are people that are embedding themselves in the mass of humanity. You know, I'm not saying all of the immigrants are terrorists. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that bad actors will use the cover of good people breaking the law in order to do bad things. That is always the case. That is always the case. Meanwhile, 100 incidents where Chinese nationals have accessed or neared U.S. military bases and other sensitive locations have now sparked suspicions of a wider espionage campaign driven by Beijing. Wall Street Journal reports citing U.S. officials, the FBI, DOD, the Department of Defense, and other agencies have dubbed the situation where Chinese nationals appear to feign, pretend basically, accidentally approaching high-security U.S. military installations and other federal sites. They call it gate-crashing. They got a term for it now. Gate-crashing. They held a review last year to figure out a way to tamp down on the incidents. Oh, 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 I know. Ah, ah, pick me. I know. I have a way. I have an idea. I have an idea. The official said the practice appears intended to stress test security measures at the military sites as a form of low effort recon or espionage. See, this is why when people like me, for example, say that we need to have border security, I don't just mean the physical border. I mean all of it. 
immigration security. All of it. A lot of the 9-11 hijackers, right, they, they didn't come across the border. They came as students. They came on visas, right? They came in, quote, legal ways. And then they disappeared. They overstayed the visas, and they got lost in the bureaucracy, right? How about we fix that? This is why I have no intention of listening to anybody calling for comprehensive immigration reform. You, don't, you can't even fix one part of it, right? Fix one part. Start there. Pick, uh, pick a part. Find some area that needs improvement, fix that one imp- that one area, improve it, button it down, tighten it up, and then maybe we'll talk about some other stuff. But start small. As Jordan Peterson would say, pick up your room before trying to fix the planet, right? A hundred different incidents so far have been reported where Chinese nationals have accessed or gotten close to U.S. military bases and other sensitive locations. DOD and the FBI call it gate crashing, according to a review from last year, Wall Street Journal reports. Usually the incidents involve Chinese nationals whom Beijing has forced into performing the operations and then reporting back to the government, according to officials uh, that went unnamed but were, quote, familiar with the matter that talked to the Wall Street Journal. So, again, these are people that are here and they get forced into doing it by the commies, probably like under threat against themselves or their family members or something. In recent years, Chinese nationals were found photographing a missile range in New Mexico, as well as scuba diving in murky Florida waters that happened to be near a rocket launch site. They claimed uh, Google Maps directed them to the nearest McDonald's or Burger King on a military base. Or they made reservations for an on-base hotel. They tell the same stories. So when these, when, when these people get caught, they all tell the same stories. That, oh, we typed in Burger King and it took us to this one that's on base. Oh, we typed in hotel and it took us to this hotel on base. They often revert to similar language when apprehended by security guards and they pretend to be lost tourists. Once again, sorry, not once again. Once, a group of Chinese nationals claiming to be tourists with reservations at a hotel on Fort Wainwright, Alaska, tried to push past gate guards. Officials say the trend is only increasing in scope and is often successful. See, a country that takes its security seriously in the wake of 9-11 doesn't allow this to happen. Have you heard about the Chinese police stations that they set up? Two longtime advisors to New York City Mayor Eric Adams traveled in China with one of the defendants in a U.S. Department of Justice case against an illegal Chinese government-run police station, which operated in Manhattan. The presence of that individual, a fellow by the name of Wang Lu, or they call him Harry, because of course they call him Harry Lu, and uh, he went with uh, to, to the Adams cl- uh, group, uh, to, 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 to Jesse Hamilton and Winnie Greco. They went on a 2019 trip to China before Adams became mayor. And this guy, Harry Liu, went with his Adams's inner circle. And it indicates that his administration has closer ties to the defendant than it disclosed in the past. 
Liu was arrested in April on charges related to operating the police station and doing the Chinese government's bidding. Any guesses? Like, do you think this these types of police stations, you think they were coordinating these uh, surveillance operations, the gate crashing? I certainly do. His participation in the trip is being reported uh, here for the first time at National Review by Jimmy Quinn. He is believed by federal prosecutors to have entered into a relationship of trust, quote-unquote, with the Chinese government, stretching back to at least 2015, after which he assisted Beijing's efforts to hunt down Chinese dissidents in America. The Adams advisors who were on the trip are among his top political aides, Winnie Greco, his uh, Asian Community Outreach Director, and former New York State Senator Jesse Hamilton. By the way, They've also made uh, connections to the Sister Cities programs. Charlotte's sister city in China is Baoding. It's been a sister, sister city of Charlotte since 1987.